This morning I'm going to begin with a story some of you heard last week from our guests with the Ohio Innocence Project. I cannot add a thing to the faithful preaching we heard from them last Sunday morning, but I'm going to return to one of their stories from the Saturday lecture because there is no better way to set up today's scripture lesson. In 1996, Laurice Glover was wrongfully convicted of murder. He spent 20 years in prison before being freed by the Ohio Innocence Project. The turning point in his case was the discovery of files from the original investigation that had never been seen by defense lawyers. A defense team should always be able to see all of the evidence, but in this case, the defense spent years trying to gain access to the file that eventually led to Mr. Glover's release. As Mark Godsey from the Innocence Project told the story, they had requested a copy of Mr. Glover's file over and over and over again without ever getting a response. And then one day, it just showed up in the mail. There was a memo in the file stating that it was to be held at the prosecutor's office and all copies destroyed. Clearly, the file was never supposed to be released. And the only explanation the defense could think of as to why they finally got it was pure luck. Their latest request had been opened by some inexperienced intern who had copied and released the file to the defense without ever looking at it. Pure luck. That's how Larice Glover got justice. So do you think the Bible doesn't tell any relevant stories? Do you think it doesn't tell quirky stories about how people actually get justice in the real world? Enter this widow and the unjust judge in Luke chapter 18. It's a parable. So this isn't meant to be a historical report. It's a story that Jesus tells to people, regular people, to make a point. In a certain city, Jesus says, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later the judge said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out. I will grant her justice so she will stop bothering me. I love it. That's how the widow got justice. What a real world story. Just when you were afraid that Jesus only told stories of repentant sinners who turned their lives around for the sake of the good, meet these two characters. There's a woman who has no husband, no inheritance, no social standing. That's the story's way of telling us that this woman has no power. And there's a judge who doesn't care about anyone but himself. He's not a public servant. He's just trying to find the easiest way to get through the day and go home and relax. 
You can imagine the widow who wants help from the judge waiting for him on the steps of the courthouse in the morning, following him home in the evening, waiting all day outside of his office window, shouting for his attention. Most of us know someone like this person who is willing to pester people no matter how long it takes to get what they want. And... Most of us know someone like the judge, lazy and selfish, and we might be a little bit embarrassed to remember times when we ourselves have given in to someone saying, fine, I will do what you want, just leave me alone. The relevance of the story and the way that it compares to Laurie's Glover's story is that in both cases there is no great moral transition that leads to justice. Neither the unjust judge in the parable nor the prosecutor in the modern story, neither one of them come to see the error in their ways or the value of the person seeking justice. But sometimes in the face of injustice, good old persistence pays off. And that's the point that Jesus is making. This story about an unjust judge, it's not really a story about justice, though Jesus tells many. This story, this story is about persistence. Not everything about these two stories should be compared. Because most notably, Laurice Glover's story is tragic. 20 years of his life behind bars for a crime he did not commit. It's wonderful that he was finally exonerated, but he can't get back those two decades of his life. And it happened because of deep flaws in our justice system and bad behavior by people in power. Tragic. And we're thankful that the Innocence Project is persistent enough to help so many victims get their lives back. The story Jesus tells is meant to be less tragic. It's actually meant to be comic, if you look at the way that it's told. We don't know a lot of things in this parable. We don't know what the widow's complaint was or if she actually deserved justice. We don't know if the judge might have been ignoring her for a valid reason. Those details are left out on purpose because this parable is supposed to be about a couple of stock characters we can relate to. We've all seen powerless people who are persistent. And we've all dealt with smarmy bureaucrats who won't be helpful and deserve to be nagged. And so we listen to Jesus' story and we are supposed to chuckle a little bit and smile, enjoying it that this woman finally gets what she wants. While we shake our heads a little bit, knowing that people in power do not always do what they are supposed to do. Commentator Kimberly Bracken Long reads this story, and she agrees we're supposed to laugh a little bit when we read it, but then, then she says we sigh. She says we sigh when we read it because we remember why Jesus told this parable in the first place. 
You see, in verse 1 of the reading, it says, Jesus told this parable about the need to pray always and never lose heart. The parable is about prayer. And so we sigh because we read this story about a powerless widow who cannot get what she wants, and we remember that Jesus is telling us sometimes when we pray, we feel like her. Have you ever prayed and felt like no one is listening? Have you ever been heartbroken because you get an answer to prayer and the answer is no? These are parts of the real lived experience of faith. I know much better than I'd like to admit the powerlessness of praying in a circumstance I know is not going to end well. I've been at countless bedsides when we have to decide that it is more appropriate to pray for comfort or endurance than to pray for healing. There are Christians and pastors among them who don't want to have that conversation. They would much rather just talk about healing. It's much easier to give God credit when things go well. You may have noticed, as I have, how frequently the Super Bowl champions mention the greatness of God. Have you noticed, as I have, that no one in the losing locker room is ever asked to weigh in on matters of faith? It's a cute example, but it points to a harsh reality. It is easy to give thanks for God's responsiveness to prayer when everything goes well. It's easy to give thanks for God's healing power when a person miraculously gets better. What about when someone doesn't get better? What about a father who dies in his 40s, leaving behind a spouse and small children, and people were praying for him to get better? What happened? Was their faith not strong enough? Did God not care? It's easy to talk about God when things work out. It turns out that the real questions of faith arise when prayers go unanswered. So why pray? Why pray? I wish I had an easy answer for you, but the fact is that prayer is a mystery, and sometimes it's hard to stick with it. So Jesus tells this story we read today, and he tells it to encourage people to pray, knowing and admitting that sometimes it's hard. John Buchanan writes of this parable that from the start, Jesus sets out not to resolve the mystery of answered and unanswered prayer, but to teach his disciples persistence. Persistence. Persistence matters in faith. In this story, we meet this nagging woman who could have given up demanding justice, but she never does. 
And it's interesting that her powerlessness is revealed so clearly in the story because you have to imagine that there were prayers in her life that did not work out. What about her husband who had died? What about the suggestion that she's seeking justice all by herself in the world? There were prayers in this woman's life that had not worked out. She was persistent with the unjust judge, not because she had so much evidence that her persistence would work, no. This woman had learned the power of persistence to shape her life and to give her hope. And she knew how to draw on her faith when things went badly. Prayer, prayer requires persistence. Prayer is a discipline. It's a thing we have to learn how to do, and we have to practice it and stick with it when it's hard. I often ask wedding couples if they ever pray together. I get a variety of answers. There's not a correct one. It's not a test. It's an opportunity to share with them that at some point in their marriage, actually at many points in their marriage, things will be hard. And if you have no experience praying with your partner when times are good, it is much more difficult to pick up the practice when something bad happens. Practicing prayer is how we build up stamina to keep believing in God's goodness when times are hard. I believe it's that stamina and persistence that really matters in our lives. That stamina might even turn out to be more valuable to us than the answers to our prayers. Prayer is about persistent faith. It's not just an exercise in luck. Returning to the story of Laurice Glover can help us to see that. Mark Godsey of the Innocence Project says that the day the evidence file showed up at the Ohio Innocence Project, the case broke wide open in a stroke of incredible luck. I disagree. Since 2006, the Ohio Innocence Project has exonerated 28 wrongfully accused prisoners who have collectively served over 500 years in prison. Most of the cases took years. Every case had a breakthrough, a breakthrough that arrived only after countless hours of work with the belief that it would lead somewhere. And importantly, that same good work keeps getting done, even though there are countless individuals who have not yet been exonerated and whose cases may never get cracked. That's not luck. It's faith. The Ohio Innocence Project's work is not about unskilled people who throw up some sort of Hail Mary pass that actually gets caught. It's about 
countless hours of skillfully executed devotion. And likewise, Christian faith is about devotion in the midst of real-world, genuine struggles. And the never-ending hope that in the midst of complicated lives and painful losses, God will help us make our way through the mess. God will help us make our way through the mess. I love the stories that Jesus tells in this part of the Gospel of Luke. I'll be telling them for the next couple of months as we journey through this fall together. In these stories, we will meet real, gritty, complicated people who ask questions of Jesus about money, about the way power works in the world, about what happens when people use whatever gifts they have and use them wisely, and what happens when we waste our gifts on things that don't matter. In today's story, we met a seemingly powerless person whose gift was persistence. And because she knew that, she figured out how to live as a person of hope. Who else will we meet? What will they have to teach us?